and welcome to the LMA podcast, featuring thought-provoking conversations with legal marketing and business experts. We hope you enjoy today's episode. Hello, and welcome to this Legal Marketing Association podcast. I'm Jill Weber, the 2017 LMA President, as well as Chief Marketing and Business Development Officer at Stinson Leonard Street. The Legal Marketing Association is committed to sharing the voice of the client with our members to help influence and lead change in their firms to better serve their clients. As part of that commitment, in 2017, the LMA Board of Directors invited representatives from a variety of client communities to share their insights. In this podcast, we will highlight key takeaways from presentations by Steve Harmon of Cisco, Justin Ergler of GlaxoSmithKline, Ama Romaine of Johns Hopkins University's Applied Physics Laboratory, and Chris Endy of General Electric. I am delighted to be joined by Connie Brenton, Senior Director of Operations for NetApp's Legal Department and President and CEO of the Corporate Legal Operations Consortium, also known as CLOCK. Connie, thanks for being with us today. Thank you for having me. Well, first, I'd like to start by asking um, a, quest- a couple of questions for you about some themes that we heard from these four presenters. And while each one had unique experiences and very personal insights to share, we did see some consistent themes. And one of those themes we heard really focused on data. How do we use data more efficiently and effectively to manage legal spend? As a couple of examples, Steve Harmon shared with us how he benchmarks a variety of metrics against the competition. And Chris Endy shared how GE created an application, GE Select Connect, to aggregate the company's gold mine of data to drive more informed outside counsel selection. And I know that data is an important metric for you, both at NetApp and also at Clock. And I'd really appreciate your perspective on the value of data generally, and also specifically what data law firm marketers should be focusing on at their own firms. We are a data company at NetApp. Not only is it central to our business generally, it is critical to the legal department. We're also beta testers for many of the emerging technologies. And so we collect data for a variety of different reasons. Uh, We collect it to understand where we have a gap in a process. We collect it to understand where we have volume agreements and processes that can be redesigned or reallocated. We collect data to understand trends to figure out whether to insource or to outsource. Some of the data, however, that our outside council partners should consider gathering focus on efficiency in staffing, use of technology, focusing on uh, using the lowest cost source for solving a problem, including LSOs and staffing agency focusing on diversity metrics. At NetApp, there is some new technology coming out that is allowing in-house legal departments to conduct micro RFPs. So we are looking for data that will allow us to ascertain how much a matter should cost. It is these micro RFPs with a 48-hour turnaround with panel firms that get us closer to that number. The RFP uh, technology is here. It also allows us to create 
uh, a standard so that each time an RFP comes in to a law firm, it is not brand new. So for example, a couple of months ago, we NetApp had an M&A deal and we had two panel firms. We had a relationship with both of them. They both were very well versed in our business. And we sent the micro RFP out to them to collect data. When we got the results in, there was a huge discrepancy in pricing. Um, on a $300,000 deal, uh, one of them came in $100,000 less. As a result of that data, the other partner law firm looked at that and thought, shoot, we had better redesign our process. How in the world can another firm be, be delivering those services at that price? And it is only through a redesign. It is through data that we're looking for a mindset shift. Uh, that really is the most important element of data. We don't just gather data to, to collect numbers. It's the mindset shift that creates a new way of talking to one another. It's a new language between one another. And it's a new and different way to communicate about the business side of law. We want to know, do our partners understand how to work inside a complex Excel sheet? Do they offer to share pricing strategies that they are leveraging or ideas on how they price? What metrics do our partners capture themselves? Would they be useful and would they be willing to share those practices with their customers? Quarterly business reviews are a very good opportunity to provide and share data. Uh, QBRs right now uh, are falling primarily on the customer side, and it would be fabulous if our partner outside counsel would be proactive in pulling this data and pulling these numbers together and being proactive uh, in inviting uh, the customer to one of these QBRs versus the customer pulling all of the data in together. QBRs also have data that is qualitative and quantitative. Uh, the qualitative data, there is a, a clock standard um, set of questions that was developed by Molly Perry, uh, led by Molly Perry at HP and Kevin Clem at HBR, that if all of the legal ecosystems started to use, perhaps we could get some consistency in some of our qualitative data. And that idea of the micro RFPs, I just love that. That's great. With the 48-hour turnaround, what a wonderful standard to really get to the transparency of the data. Yeah, and if we could get it so that it is consistent, then the law firms won't be getting a different RFP each time they have to respond to something. It will be the same set of questions. There will be drop-down menus so that the RFP can be answered very quickly and very efficiently, and the same each time they get it. At NetApp, we have what we call a wizard process. So when we get hourly rates in, each one of those rates is benchmarked. We, when we originally started, there was technology that benchmarked rates against 
all of the rates in the industry. What we have found is it makes more sense now to just benchmark those rates against our own portfolio. So each one of the hourly rates that comes in gets benchmarked. Uh, if it is high, we unilaterally take it down to what we consider a fair price and um, send it back out to the law firm. We did this process for, I don't know, two years or so. And after a period of time, we as a legal department got a much better idea of how much something should cost. And as a, as a result of that, we have moved to fixed fee pricing wherever we can because the fixed fee pricing is far less expensive. You can imagine how much administrative support running hourly rates through the wizard costs. And then that takes us to the micro RFP so that we can then um, run an RFP on a fixed fee matter. And that will ultimately be the demise of the hourly rate. Mm. That's very consistent. That model you just described is very consistent with something um, that Steve Harmon shared with us. I don't recall the statistic right now, but he said a large percentage of their matters were handled under a fixed fee arrangement, moving away from that hourly rate. Steve Harmon at Cisco was the pioneer, and we have been following in his footsteps. And um, between 80 and 90 percent of our spend now is under a fixed fee arrangement. That's fantastic. You know, you hit on something as we were just talking about gathering data, about qualitative data, and that CLOCK has created a standard set of questions. One of the other themes that emerged from these presentations was the idea of relationships. And, for example, Chris Endy at GE said that his overarching goal at GE is to build better relationships with the company's law firms. And Anna Romaine really talked about the importance of building multiple relationships with in-house counsel. She specifically said so many people only focus on the GC. They need to talk about what she called the zippering approach, where you actually have young associates with the young attorneys in her legal department and then kind of moving up depending on where people are in their career. Can you talk a little bit, in addition to actually qualitative data, how you build and measure those um, very, I would say, amorphous relationships with your law firms? It is always about people, people, people. In addition to the quantitative data and running legal like a business, relationships are always critical. It's the people at the end of the day who, who deliver the services. We do now, however, look to connect beyond the relationship partner and we need to and want to get to know the pricing people, the CMOs, the project managers, the CIOs, the COOs. We want and need a holistic view of the firm and its people. When we run our QBRs, we have two metrics that we capture, quantitative and qualitative, which are much more relationship-centric metrics. Is there responsiveness? Do you have our back? Who are we working with? We always choose to work with people that we like at the end of the day, relationships are critical. And I would completely agree that the relationship, the qualitative relationship between in-house and outside counsel is shifting. The relationships are much more broad. The relationships are much more deep. 
and they're different, and they're different from person to person. You know, one thing that we've heard, Connie, is from each presenter, they talk a lot about the word value. And according to Justin Ergler, the first question that any of us should ask at the beginning of every matter is, what does value actually mean to this client? And how can legal marketers really educate their attorneys to better understand and define value at the outset? Value is understanding the right service at the right price addressing the right level of risk in the relevant time. I think what is coming to light with some of the metrics that are being captured is that we don't always want or need the best, the fastest, the most perfect solution. We don't need every rock turned on every single matter. In fact, we often want quick and less deep we face too many issues in-house to do everything perfectly. And we ask that our outside counsel respond to us in the same way that we run our own legal departments. We look that the price is fair for the services received, and we look to really how many people does it take to change a light bulb. Sometimes you want the best and the brightest, and it is a bet the, bet the company kind of matter, and you want white glove service and another times you need an answer quickly. It's a great point you raised because I do think that the outside counsel really need to better understand the client and know intuitively whether people want the 15-page memorandum or the one-paragraph summary via email. And that was another theme that we really heard um, from the presenters, that idea that you need to understand each client's business industry and their specific goals and really how they talk to one another. For example, Amma Romain talked about the importance of speaking the language your customer understands. She talked about the number of scientists and engineers, the very technical people who are part of their organization and that you need to be able to know how to speak that language. Can you share an example of maybe how a law firm um, went out of its way to understand your own business and how they learned to speak your language? Once the environment of a partnership has been created, it's much easier to crack this nut. Starts with open and transparent communication. Do you know what keeps your customer up at night? And by the way, there might be several people that you're working with at a client partner, and each matter and person comes to the table with a different lens. What keeps the M&A lawyer up at night is different than what keeps the legal ops lead up at night. You need to know who you're talking to within the department. Know the individual. Know how to deliver your services. Some are more risk averse, some less. Some like email, some like phone calls. Some are technologically advanced and some aren't. Individualize your services to your customers. The prices that are charged currently by outside counsel generally merit white glove treatment of your clients. We've had outside counsel suggest to us that we unbundle our services. So there's a really good example of an M&A deal uh, it was a very big M&A deal of a client, and they suggested it was an AMLA 50 uh, outside counsel, and they suggested to their client, you should unbundle for due diligence. We are not set up as a business to do this kind of work at a price that brings value and merits the kind of, of pricing that we would need to charge, and they referred the client to an alternative service provider to provide that due diligence. We've also had the same same kind of experience with litigation, where our litigation outside counsel partner 
will connect us with one of their partners or ask us if we have a partner, an alternative service provider, who can be leveraged to conduct the due diligence on, on a particular litigation. Are you seeing a rise in the use of alternative service providers within your own legal operations and budget? We are seeing a huge increase in alternative service providers. NetApp is a beta tester, and so we are the law department of the future. Uh, We started with leveraging alternative uh, providers four years ago with Elevate Services. We now have 16 FTEs, full-time equivalent employees, that act as an extension of the legal department. The shift is starting to happen as the role of the legal operations function starts to rise simply because there is a focus on running legal like a business. And it doesn't make sense to spend the kind of money that it costs to leverage a law firm for all kinds of fairly mundane, repetitive kinds of activity, including due diligence both on M&A and litigation. That is fantastic how you've developed and built that out and been a pioneer in that area. Uh, We've certainly seen it in the surveys that we're reading in terms of the growth of where legal budgets are going and the increase towards that marketplace. Uh, You know, finally, with a final question, I'd just like to ask you, um, while I've talked a lot about common themes, it's so important to customize the client experience. And I talked earlier about speaking the customer's language, but really something I heard Laura Stein, who's general counsel of Clorox, say at an event once that one size fits one when it comes to client relationships with law firms. I want to get your take on that and whether you think that's accurate. When delivering white glove services, bet the company kinds of uh, advice, one size fits one. That's correct. The bespoke work merits this this type of treatment, and it merits the $1,000 hourly rates that many firms are charging. However, because of our capture and understanding of the data, both internally and externally, we now know that a majority of the support we're receiving from our outside partners is not unique, and it's not generally complex. This work, then, should be offered at a lower rate, and it should be shared with the legal ecosystem so that we're not all recreating the wheel over and over. It's this type of collaboration between in-house counsel and outside counsel and the sharing of best practices that is the essence of CLOCK. It's one of the reasons for the explosive growth of the organization going from a membership of 40 to 1,100 in 18 months. And this is also, uh, this work is also now able to be performed by a variety of alternative providers. Or the work is being moved in-house, as we were talking about earlier. Uh, the first clock survey also just came out, and it's confirming these trends to your earlier question. Where, where are the funds being spent and allocated? The industry is in a period of flux. And there are many more alternatives than there were even six months or a year ago in terms of how best to resource a particular matter. So going back, yes, 
white glove treatment for the bet the company kind of activity and for the rest which is the you know it's the 80 20 20 20 is white glove one size fits one but the other 80 is much more uh, routine and repetitive it's a good metric for legal marketers to keep in mind as they're going to market and promoting services as well where you focus some of the time and how you can communicate um, the efficiencies that you can drive with data in terms of that 80% of the more routine and mundane matters. Connie, you mentioned um, the explosive growth in your organization. Can you remind our listeners when your CLOCK conference will be held in 2018? The CLOCK Institute, well, our first CLOCK Institute in EMEA will be held in London in, on January 23rd, and the big the annual institute will be held in Las Vegas, April 22nd through the 25th. Thanks for asking. Uh-huh. Well, I know you've so seen so entire, many attendees at that conference. That's right. And the entire legal, one of the unique aspects of that gathering is the entire legal ecosystem is welcome to attend. What we have found over time is that if everybody is not in the room together, collaborating together, creating a solution together, the solution doesn't work. And getting together once, at least once a year as a community uh, feels, feels like a movement um, because we are, we are all starting to create this new legal ecosystem and this new legal environment. Well, and our organization is also very interested interested in collaborating as part of that as well. That's why we've invited you and others from CLOCK not only to our board meetings, but also presenting at our LMA annual conference. And we believe strongly in that collaboration in order to be successful going forward. Let me comment on that because I think that that uh, highlights a, a new way of communicating. We have made progress because of our relationship with LMA, and this is a relatively new relationship, and it has paid off in spades in terms of being able to understand each one of our needs. How do we each work? How does in-house counsel work? What do we want as a customer? What do we want? And then how does outside counsel function? How best can we communicate in a different way so that we, so that we have a meeting of the minds? And ironically, it has been through these different conversations, right, through the legal operations executives and the, the CMOs of law firms, where traditionally those conversations have been with um, the managing partner and the general counsel. Conversations generally are changing, the content of the conversations are changing, and so are the individuals who are having these conversations. It's an excellent point. It's something Justin Ergler point out, pointed out when he spoke to the board and he mentioned that he wanted to see, just as you said in terms of your qualitative relationship assessment, he wanted to see at the table the CMOs, the pricing directors, the project managers, because those people added so much value to the conversation and, and it needed to be that broader legal ecosystem. It's very consistent with what we heard from our presenters. Are there any other um, themes you'd like to share with our listeners, Connie, as we wrap up our podcast? 
Because of the change of the role of the general counsel generally, there is a need for corporate legal operations functions. We're seeing a rise in the function. We would suggest that all of the Fortune 500 legal in-house legal departments stand one up and that we start to develop these more broad relationships so that we can have a conversation, two different sets of conversations. One conversation is around the substantive matter, legal matter, and the other is how do we run our businesses like a business? Those are two separate and distinct conversations. I also think that there's an opportunity for our legal ecosystem to influence how our students are trained and how the law schools are providing uh, an education so that when the students graduate, they can actually walk into a practice and be effective. Traditionally, we have created the eye-shaped attorney, somebody who is very deep in one topic, and the law schools really should be uh, producing a T-shaped attorney, an attorney who has knowledge of project management and budgeting and pricing uh, and marketing, as well as that deep expertise in one particular topic. And I think if we collaborate together, we could perhaps change how how the law schools are training our students so we get so we come to a win-win. And the, and the final thing I think is the technology companies. It would be nice if we could have a technology that had an end-to-end -end solution, a technology that worked both for inside counsel and for outside counsel. I think it's surprising when I go to LMA and I walk the exhibit floor and I don't recognize any of the technology providers. And I think the same is true when you come to clock, you don't recognize the technology providers. It would be far more efficient if our technology solutions worked across that those barriers. It's a great point, and technology, as you pointed out throughout our conversation, is such a critical component of creating those efficiencies and being more effective going forward. And we look forward to continuing the discussion and continuing to collaborate with CLOCK. Uh, unfortunately, our time is up for this podcast, but I really appreciate, Connie, everything that you've shared with us and some of the key themes from your perspective related to data, both qualitative and quantitative. As we just mentioned, that very important role of technology and in including how you're using it to conduct micro RFPs, the very important relationships. Uh, I appreciated the distinction you shared between substantive legal expertise and the business of law and also how we need to influence both our service providers and our future lawyers so that they can come up in this new legal ecosystem that's being created. Thank you so much, Connie, for sharing your insights with our legal marketing community. We appreciate it. That concludes another installment of the LMA podcast. To discover all that LMA has to offer, visit legalmarketing.org. For links to content featured in this episode, please check out the show notes. If you like the podcast and want to help others find us, we hope you'll take the time to subscribe and rate us on iTunes. Thank you and have a great day.